0: Welcome to Tapeheads. I'm Sean.
1: And I'm Lindsay.
0: Tapeheads is the podcast where we select a VHS tape from either my collection or Lindsay's collection. We watch it and then we talk about it. This is a very special episode because we are kicking off Vampire October, is yeah. what I've decided to call it, I guess. Um, and this is for two reasons. One is that it's Halloween. Of course. And two, that yours truly is making a vampire movie.
1: Not me. He means himself.
0: Um, Yes. (laughs) Uh, Sean is making a vampire movie. So this very day, Monday, October 21st, I'm launching a crowdfunding campaign on Seed and Spark. You can check it out at redsnowmovie.com. What this movie is, is it's a vampire Christmas movie about a struggling... Vampire romance novelist Olivia played by my good friend Denise Snaros.
1: Possibly inspired by Anne Rice, not really.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's I she's definitely like an aspiring Ra- Anne Rice in some ways. You know, she's having a lot of trouble getting her her career off the ground. She's out in her um in her mother's cabin, which she's inherited out in snowy Lake Tahoe, and things really just aren't going her way until one night a bat flies into her window. Whoa! She decides because she's you know partial to creatures of the night that she's going to take this bat inside and nurse it back to health. But of course, the bat turns into a vampire a named nake- Luke,
1: a naked vampire, a
0: naked vampire, uh, played by Nico Bellamy. Brother of Ben Bellamy, who was on in my last film and uh, was on the Liar Liar episode of this very podcast.
1: Mm-hmm. Friend of the show.
0: A friend of the show. It's basically the movie is about kind of their relationship, much like the relationship between Lestat and Louis in some but ways.
1: Maybe not as creepy.
0: Well, it's a pretty <laughs> creepy relationship, but it's a horror comedy. It's got Christmas. It's got gore. It's got vampires. It's got laughs. It's- Wait
1: a bit. Halloween Sean Lynch is introducing a Christmas movie before Halloween is happening.
0: I know. I am responsible for the very thing that I hate, which is the Christmas creep when the Christmas decorations come in starting October or sometimes even September. Bleh. But... Look, it is a horror movie first and foremost. That's true. I think it's okay to watch things like Black Christmas during October.
1: Okay. You know, there's Nightmare Before Christmas. There's Nightmare
0: Before Christmas. I think as long as there's some horror in it. Like, I would have no problem with Christmas decorations going on sale that are like, you know. Covered (laughs) in blood. (laughs) Covered in blood. Exactly. (laughs) So, here's what I would like you, the listener, to do. If you're able... And if you're not driving a car right now, if you go to redsnowmovie.com, that will take you right to our campaign, and you can watch our little pitch video, which features Denise and Nico, friend of the show Gavin, who's shooting it, and myself, learn a little bit about the movie, and honestly, just, like, give whatever you can if that it seems like an appealing story to you.
1: There are a bunch of different levels, and you can buy into some sort of vampiriness for yourself, like... Count Chocula.
0: Yes, that's our $25 level. And you get all, yeah, there's a lot of different prizes you can get. Um, Everything from, you know, a copy of the script, a digital download of the script, to a cameo in the movie or an invite to the screening. I'm really excited about the idea of bringing a community of people together and really involving them in the movie where you would get to watch this thing you know, from development to pre-production to filming. We're, we're giving out special updates throughout the filming uh, through to post and then like the festival life that it's going to have. And, you know, my big goal is for this to be a holiday horror film that people revisit every december or really even every october because again yeah it's it, yes it's a christmas movie but it's also a horror movie
1: could have a little crossover maybe we'll watch it instead of die hard next year
0: i don't know it's not on vhs though. although i could always put it on a vhs tape
1: Yeah, we we could artificially put it on the VHS tape, (laughs) make a bunch of fake ads at the beginning that are really terrible for Pizza Hut and stuff.
0: Yeah, well, write us at TapeHeadsPodcast at gmail.com. Let let us know what you think about that. That might be breaking our own charter a little bit. But uh, one more time, that's RedSnowMovie.com, R-E-D-S-N-O-W-Movie.com. And yeah, check it out and... Honestly, like, I am so grateful to everyone who is being a part of this thing, and uh, I'm hoping it'll be a really exciting
1: campaign, and we will check in on the next episode. Yeah. And if anything, donate, because you're going to want to see this movie. It's going to be really fun.
0: So that's enough about future vampires. Let's talk about vampires of the past, 1790s vampires.
1: I mean, they're kind of of the past and the present because they don't die. Yeah. Well, some of them die. We'll get there.
0: So for this episode, we watched Interview with the Vampire, starring Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt, Antonio Banderas, Kirsten Dunst, Christian Slater. Really a uh, star-studded cast here. What is your experience with this movie? Is this one that you were familiar with?
1: I had heard about it, but I never really knew much about it until, when was it? In college, I think, my mom had it on DVD. And so she, uh, my brother and I watched it for the first time. I mean, for the first time for me, she had already seen it and thought it was great. But that's it. And I think that was the only other time that I'd watched it until now. I I remember us
0: renting it on VHS and I think I honestly just wasn't mature enough for it at that time. Like my idea of a vampire movie was more like action oriented, like something like Blade, which is still really fun to this day. But I think like this epic story of love and loss and, you know, and it has like a lot of really kind of adult themes. I think a lot of it kind of went over my head when I was younger, but I rediscovered yeah. it. I think, in high school, college.
1: Yeah, there's a surprising amount of complexity to this film because I think sometimes people think, oh, vampire movie, uh, you know, that's like, what Bella and Edward and Twilight now, which it's it's not. Um, it's got a lot more depth, mm-hmm. not to be too dismissive of Twilight if you're a fan of Twilight.
0: I mean, one of the reasons that I'm making a vampire movie is that I think that the mythology is so rich, and you're able to do so many different variations on it. And I feel like there's less elasticity with things like, I don't know, zombies, for example. Yeah. Like, there's only so much you can do with a zombie.
1: They get a little dry, although there is warm bodies.
0: Yeah, I think that there's definitely great variations on that, too, but... Just the fact that you can be totally different genres like this. I'm not even sure what you would call this, like almost like a romantic epic of sorts that follows Louis throughout centuries of his life. Uh, For those that aren't familiar with Interview with the Vampire, it's based on the Anne Rice novel, wonderful novel. So basically this movie is told entirely from the point of view of Louis, played by Brad Pitt. In modern day, well, 90s era San Francisco, he has a, he's renting this room and he's telling his life story to Christian Slater's character, Malloy. And basically, he takes you through this frame story. He takes you through centuries of his life from when he was a human in New Orleans to being uh, bitten by the vampire Lestat to his early life as a vampire, to having a vampire daughter, to his life after Lestat in Paris. And it's kind of taking you through this long expanse of his life, but critically all through Louis's perspective. Right. And there, And I find it interesting that the subtitle of this movie is The Vampire Chronicles, because if they had made a second movie, it would have been the novel, presumably The Vampire Lestat which is told entirely from Lestat's point of view, where he's like, no, 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 that's not how it happened. It actually happened like this. I'm actually a nice guy. Yeah.
1: Well, because Louis, played by Brad Pitt, it doesn't paint Lestat in the greatest light.
0: Yeah, and and I think that's one of the things that I love about the books is like, there's it's all about this unreliable narrator. You're hearing first person from... You know these like supernatural beings, like what happened and in events that happened centuries ago. So, you know who's to really say what's real and what's not? Yeah,
1: I think in the in the world of this movie, we're supposed to believe Brad Pitt and that he doesn't really have an ulterior motive here.
0: Yeah, I agree, and um, we'll get to it later. But the ending of the movie, which is not in the book, it's pretty definitively seems to suggest that Louie's version of the story is correct. And we'll get into that later. No ads on the tape, unfortunately. Lindsay continues her dominance in that field. Do I
1: have like double the ads of you right now?
0: It's something like that. I haven't checked it recently, but it's up there. I bet Chad has more ads than I do.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, because of that one Blair Witch movie that had about 10 ads on it. Yeah.
0: In the waning days of VHS. I find that so interesting. I
1: don't know if this is just more commentary about the two of us, though, that I pick ones that are ad heavy, which are like usually rom-coms and kids movies and stuff.
0: It's funny, we should talk about the experience of putting this tape into the VCR and, like, watching it. Because I remember one of the first things you said was, like, oh, this looks bad. Because we <laughs> we both are used to seeing it on DVD or HD. And it's just, this tape that we have, I feel like this might be a first edition. Like, because the cover is sunbleached, for one. And then... It's just very muddy and desaturated. Yeah,
1: it's very desaturated. The, the scene is kind of indistinct. Everything's blurry around the edges. Like, I almost feel like I don't have my glasses on while I'm watching it and that I need to find them. But no, they're in place. It's just really blurry anyway.
0: You were saying that some movies might benefit from that.
1: Yeah, I think movies that have kind of bad special effects or not great makeup artists and that sort of thing would totally benefit from VHS because it kind of, it's more forgiving. But in this case, we have a film that's really beautifully shot, makeup's great, everything is done really well, so we're missing out a Mm -hmm. little bit by watching it on VHS.
0: Even these opening shots, these breathtaking shots of San Francisco that open the movie, and I'd like to talk a little bit about this.
1: The Golden Gate Bridge is gray. Yeah,
0: the it, it, you almost think it's in black and white. The, the bridge looks so murky. So the movie begins with essentially like helicopter shots. I was saying to you, if they did this now, it would be drone shots, and it would not be as effective, in my opinion.
1: Oh, you don't think so?
0: I don't think so. Helicopter shots have this presence to them that I feel like drone shots kind of have this kind of lighter than air.
1: They're so perfectly smooth.
0: Yeah. I also think of the the aerial photography in The Lost Boys, which, you know, another vampire movie that has a lot of these kind of aerial shots. But this, if you watch this opening um, sequence, it's over the titles. It starts with a helicopter going over the ferry building in San Francisco, or it starts in the San Francisco Bay and then yeah. goes over the ferry building mm-hmm. and then down Market Street. I guess they just had a helicopter going down Market Street late at night.
1: Well, but you said at some point it seemed like they transitioned to a person stepping off.
0: Yes. I mean, this is the next... So there, there's three elements to it. The The helicopter is the first part, and then they dissolve to... I can't even read the street sign in the VHS version, unfortunately. It still seems to be um, just off of market, where it's a crane shot that's outside of Louis's apartment and it goes down to street level. And in one shot, it turns into a steady cam. So I'm imagining that the crane operator just stepped off of the crane and started walking around with pedestrians. And it's this really like. I had to rewind it because it's so, you know, unsettling to see that like you're watching one shot and then it transitions to a guy walking around with a camera, but all in one take.
1: Yeah, and you're right up against all these people and it's almost kind of creepy as if you're this presence that's there and these other people are completely unaware of you.
0: Yeah, and it it thematically, it's brilliant because on the one hand, Christian Slater's character is this guy who follows people around looking for interviews so he's kind of this voyeuristic character, but then there's these vampires that are able to blend in soci- into society and walk around at night mm-hmm. and prey on people at will. Okay, so I'm just dying to talk about the cast because I okay. have a lot to say about that. Yeah, do it. Okay. Okay, let's start with Tom Cruise as Lestat. What are, what are your thoughts, Lindsay?
1: This role is perfect for him because he's just kind of unhinged the entire time, but he's He's just kind of arrestingly dynamic and interesting, and you're just drawn to him, but you kind of feel this creepy, there's something wrong here, and then it slowly sort of snowballs as you're seeing his evilness come out more and more over the course of the film.
0: Agreed, 100%. This is my favorite Tom Cruise performance. And I feel like he sort of missed his calling playing more villainous characters because my other favorite Tom Cruise performance is when he plays Vincent the hitman in Collateral.
1: Which he's so good in that. He's
0: excellent in, you know, I think there's something about Tom Cruise's eyes where it's like even when he's giving one of his like big Hollywood cap tooth smiles, his eyes, there's something menacing about them. And he, like, the character of Lestat is the perfect vehicle for this kind of, like, dark energy that he possesses. I think
1: it's beyond just being good at evil characters. He's just a really fantastic actor. And it's one of those things that kind of makes me sad that he's become a little bit of a joke due to various parts of his private life. Um And it's really too bad because he's so good at what he does. I mean, he's brilliant in comedy, too.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm definitely a Tom Cruise fan, but I just enjoy this version of him so much that I can't help but wonder what kind of roles he could have sunk his teeth into uh, had he really embraced that. But it's clear that he sees himself as like a Hollywood leading man. And that's why we're getting a Mission Impossible 7 and 8. Not that I don't love those movies, but he is so perfectly cast here. And it's worth talking about that Anne Rice was vehemently against his casting in this movie.
1: So much so that she was really vocal about it and ended up having to write him an apology letter afterward when she realized he was great. And this is something that keeps
0: happening to Tom Cruise, where he plays a beloved literary character, in this case, Lestat, later on in his career, Jack Reacher. Um, I am not familiar with the Lee Child book, so I can't really comment on that. I saw the movie and thought it was fine. But in this case, there's no one else I would want to play this role.
1: I mean, supposedly it was almost John Travolta.
0: I don't know if I believe... Sometimes I read casting things and I don't really know if I believe them.
1: I feel like half of them are made up.
0: I do know that it was one of those things where people who love the books were like, No, Tom Cruise is like this Top Gun, like, short, big-toothed guy. Like, he can't be Lestat. (laughs) Like, uh, not that big teeth aren't perfect for Lestat. But um, just talk about, like, proving all your critics wrong with this performance. Because... Lestat, to me, is just the ultimate hedonist. And he all he wants is to fulfill his his appetite. Whether it's for, like, blood or for, like, the fineries of life. Or just, like, all these experiences. And he doesn't really have the same moral quandaries that Louis has. And Tom Cruise taps into that so perfectly. I think, like, it's really just... It's such a brilliant performance that once he's absent from the movie in the Paris section, I just, I'm just instantly like not as engaged.
1: I was a little bored.
0: Yeah. I mean, I still like the Paris stuff and this is a similar problem in the book too, but New Orleans is, that is just so masterfully done that whole, um, I feel like it's two thirds of the movie, but maybe it just looms large in my mind. But, um, once Lestat is sidelined, it's not the same movie and it just lacks that energy that he brings to it. Um, how do you feel about Brad Pitt as Louie? Second build, interestingly, because he was not as big. I'm looking at the VHS box and it goes Tom Cruise above the title, then the title, then Brad Pitt.
1: Yeah. Which and it's is funny. Tom Cruise's face is probably about a third of the cover.
0: Yeah. Yeah. This is very much like, you know, the Tom Cruise show, even though he's very much a supporting character in this Yeah, film.
1: I think Brad Pitt was really great. You know, he had a kind of moody, conflicted character. You really felt for him. He was very sympathetic. You know, I, I did care about him as a character and kind of was interested in his ups and downs and was very sad for him in the end.
0: Yeah, I'm less enthusiastic about Brad Pitt. I mean, I, I know that he was not he didn't have a very fun time making this movie.
1: Yeah, I think at the same time, he's not really given as much to do that's quite as exciting as Tom Cruise. So I think it's not... He did really well with the material he had, but I don't think he was given quite as much to to do that really showed that range.
0: Yeah, and it's definitely the harder role in the sense that you're not this flashy, over-the-top, menacing figure. You're more... Louis on this like journey of like who am I why am I a vampire are there other vampires out there it's a
1: lot more subtle too because his is more on an emotional angle Mm -hmm. rather than a kind of violent menacing angle
0: and it's this internal struggle as opposed to Lestat who has no qualms with any of this
1: Mm -hmm.
0: okay now Kirsten Dunst as Claudia she was
1: awesome she was so good and she was only about 12. She looked younger to me when I was watching the movie. I think she it's one of the most talented child performances I think I've ever seen. Just because usually you don't, or at least for me, I usually don't quite believe child actors. I have to make a little bit of a mental push on my own to, to really believe in what they're doing and saying and feeling. Because it's all just a little stilted. But she's just so genuine and you completely follow with whatever she's doing and feeling.
0: Yeah, I agree. This is my favorite Kirsten Dunst performance. I, I, when I say that, I almost feel like, I don't mean that as like a diss on the rest of her career. Because I imagine this is like the first thing that she did. But it's just like to be such a young actress and to be tapping into like this adult idea of like, forever looking like a child as you're becoming a woman and
1: because to explain a little bit for her character brad pitt finds her when her mother has died and she's devastated and he's kind of been going through some stuff so he inadvertently eats her and lestat comes in and ends up turning her into a vampire and the two of them raise her as if she's their child. They're very, they baby her. It's out, it's kind of cute in a dark, sick way, but it's, For her character, she's aging inside, but physically she isn't able to age. She's stuck at that age forever. And she, as she's mentally aging with them over the years, she's realizing her own resentment that she's trapped in this child's body when she wants to become a woman. I agree with all of that. And
0: I also feel like it's this thing where because she has these two fathers that are so radically different it's like she inherits Lestat's bloodlust and kind of frivolity, but also is kind of cursed with Introspect- moral, kind of introspectiveness. Yeah. yeah. Maybe yeah. not morality. <laughs> That's yeah, the wrong Yeah, not
1: quite morality. He wants to be moral, but he can't really because he's, um, I mean, fundamentally in a way, a monster, mm-hmm. right? But he has that introspective quality, which is his darkness and why he suffers over the decades. But I think for her, yeah, you're right. She has this blending of both of them because she's having fun killing off her piano teachers and, you know, killing people to get dolls and all this stuff. And I think initially this childhood for her is great, but it's just she's not going to be a child forever in the way that she thinks and feels. And then that ends up causing her suffering.
0: Yeah, there's the great scene where she tries to cut off her locks, her gorgeous, you know, curly blonde locks, and they just grow back with some great 90s CG.
1: Yeah. The effects are pretty good. The Although effects
0: are pretty good. And it's on
1: VHS. Of... Yeah. They're pretty
0: good. I'm impressed with the in camera stuff that they do. In the opening scene, when Christian Slater is like skeptical that this guy is really a vampire. He turns on, he, Brad Pitt shoots across the room at like warp speed and turns on a light and then is sitting right next to him. And if you look at a show like True Blood, they would just show that happening with this kind of jittery, you know, effect where you just see the person, Tasmanian devil through the room. But this is like just a series of jump cuts and sound effects or just like bloop, bloop. Where he's just suddenly next to him and it's with some music and it's very jarring and effective when it's really just like an in-camera effect. Mm -hmm. Speaking of Christian Slater, I know he doesn't have a whole lot to do in this movie, but how do you feel about him? I just
1: wasn't interested in him. I I mean, that's all. Like, he's the vehicle for us hearing that the story, but otherwise he doesn't really do much. I, I, well,
0: I mean, I always like Christian Slater. It's a little sad the circumstances in which he got this role because it was originally going to be River Phoenix who passed away and then Christian Slater took it and donated the salary to uh, River Phoenix's favorite charities, which is very good of him. It is a big jump to make, and this is a problem in the book too, I feel like, where to have listened to this entire story of just like centuries of misery and loneliness And at the end of that
1: story, to be like, oh, wait, I want to be a vampire, too. Can you make me one of those things? I don't understand. And then Brad Pitt is just so frustrated. And he's like, did you not? Like, this didn't work. (laughs) You did not listen.
0: Well, haven't you had meetings at work that are kind of that way?
1: Maybe. (laughs) I will not state publicly.
0: Oh, and I guess the the final big character is... um, Antonio Banderas is Armand what do you think about his role in
1: this? I don't think he has enough to do Like uh, he, he ends up helping to save Louis later in the film but I just don't understand why I haven't been given enough of their relationship development to understand why Antonio Banderas character cares so much for Louis it just doesn't quite connect for me I think I needed a few more minutes of film time for that to work
0: yeah, you can tell that they're really trying to capture this like smoldering chemistry between Brad Pitt and Antonio Banderas where they're, you know, very close and sort of in each other's personal space, like stopping just shy of kissing, but like very, you know, it's very close and intimate. But, you know, in the book, I feel like there's a little more time to develop that relationship and understand why they were so drawn to each other his character just isn't, like, given enough development in such a short period of time.
1: It's not, it's just not quite effective. I mean, the scene where he finds that Claudia has been burned by the sun and then goes on to just rampage and kill all of the vampires, that is cool, and that is interesting. Yeah. And that was really well done. I think it's just hard when you're trying to take something that's a novel and condensing into film form, you know, they have to be so selective with how they do these scenes. But they I really do think that they should have put a little bit more into that development.
0: Especially since so much of the story is building towards Louis' desire to... Well, in the movie, it's more Claudia's desire to find other vampires. Like, find out, like, what is the deal with our kind? And then when you finally find them and they're just kind of like these frivolous performers in a theater... And I think that that's part of it. It is supposed to be sort of a letdown for, you know, for Louis to find out that this is really all there is. But it's also like a letdown to us, the audience, when we find out that that's all there is.
1: And it's interesting to me because I feel like a lot of the message in the film that I took out of it is that you can be immortal, but life is the relationships that you have in it. And the health of those relationships and so, you know, Louis's life is so devastating and melancholy because he gets involved with Lestat, has some exciting times with him but then realizes that Lestat is just too beyond him and is just too crazy, too violent, it's just kind of too much and they have too much resentment. Claudia devastates him because he gets this daughter figure, but she's miserable and she'll never be able to have the life she wanted. And in some ways she kinds of she kind of wishes she was dead. and then, you know, for himself, he can meet all these other people, all of these other vampires, but just what is the significance of any of it?
0: Christian Slater didn't get any of that from the story. I think he only heard like, oh, you get to live forever.
1: It, literally, that's all he focused on. Oh, you're strong. Oh, you you were able to kill a bunch of people. You took a scythe and you cut people in half. That's cool.
0: <laughs> I mean, it's an invention of the the movie, but this this great line from Lestat that comes up multiple times throughout, where it's like, I'm going to give you the choice I never had. Basically, you know, the choice between I've already bit you. Are you gonna die or are you gonna live forever? And I don't know how you feel, but to me, I would rather die than have this life.
1: If I knew, right? Yeah. Like, if I knew that that was the story. But initially, for Louis, he does not know.
0: Yeah. He's sort of tricked into... It's sort of this Faustian bargain where,
1: yeah.
0: oh, eternal life, that seems great. But, like, at the cost of losing your soul... And at the cost of basically every relationship that you could ever have. Yeah. And kind of being lonely forever. And
1: living in darkness and in this kind of weird underbelly of society.
0: One of the things that I find really interesting about this movie is it came out in the mid-90s. And it's this very deeply homoerotic film that had like this huge budget a star-studded cast was a big hit a big financial and critic uh critical hit and it's it's amazing that that it ended up happening that way i mean i think it's great um but i i feel like this could have so easily been watered down for audiences at that moment yeah
1: and i don't know if it's it's interesting because you think of um friends like sometimes when we watch friends reruns you've pointed out the gay panic mm. and especially in ross's character where he's sort of afraid of being seen as being interested in men in any way whatsoever oh no but for this film i think it's subtle enough that you know you audiences in some some ways see what they want to see and they get out of things what they want to get out of it so i i I could see some people watching this and missing some of that homoerotic element because they really did make it fairly subtle. But I then I know. <laughs> I think I think for somebody that's not looking for it that's assuming that it would not be there, I think it's subtle enough. Mhm. But then for for crowds like us who are not kind of ignorant of different kinds of relationships and love that You know, it's obvious to us.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess, I mean, there's never an explicit physical relationship with any of the male vampires. But it's definitely just this deeply romantic relationship. They love each other. Oh, yeah, yeah, there's
1: definitely like a loving interaction between... Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt and Brad later Brad Pitt and Antonio Banderas. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting,
0: too, because Anne Rice is quoted as saying, which I th- I think this is kind of hilarious, given that she was up in arms about Tom Cruise. But she was considering changing either Lestat or Louis, I forget which, to a female character in the screenplay, because she just thought that middle America just could not deal with this book you know, fair, it's, this is a pretty faithful adaptation of the book, aside mm-hmm. from some changes and um, things condensed. But she just really didn't think that people were, were ready for this kind of relationship on yeah. sc- in, in such a big budget movie.
1: Well, and it's so funny to do that because then you're editing it away and you're not even giving people the opportunity to prove out if they're ready or not. And honestly, if you, as long as you have an audience, who cares if some people aren't, if Middle America isn't ready for it, for example. Like... I don't know. I think it's one of those things where you see over many, many years, Hollywood has limited itself in the messaging and casting all around this assumption of what people want to see. But ultimately, the audience will go or not.
0: I also think they probably viewed this as sort of a gamble. And that's why the poster is just all Tom Cruise's face, because it's like, let's push this as a big Tom Cruise vehicle. You well, know.
1: and not showing them paired together because yeah. it's Tom Tom Cruise's face and then below and sort of miniature you see Brad Pitt on a sitting on a bench looking over at Claudia.
0: Mm-hmm. It's almost a miracle that this movie happened I guess is all I'm trying to say is just that at this moment this movie could have been made this because I'm not even sure this movie could be made now just in the sense of this huge like epic R-rated very adult story about the love between men that spans centuries.
1: I think it could be made now. Because I mean, an expensive R-rated vampire vehicle is in True Blood and that did quite well. Adding that LGBTQ kind of angle isn't necessarily that crazy anymore.
0: Yeah, I mean, that was certainly an element of True Blood, a huge element. Right. But I feel like True Blood is a little bit different because You know, a season of an HBO show is kind of a smaller risk than this like big budget film, don't you think? That is like make or break in theaters with this huge cast.
1: I don't know. I honestly have no idea just because I don't know what level of investment or risk goes into either kind of vehicle.
0: Is this a world that you would, would you like, would you consider reading the books after watching this? Is, oh, yeah,
1: yeah. I, for a second I thought you were going to ask me if I wanted to visit this world, and I was going to say no. No, I do not. <laughs> Why don't no, you want to go you.
0: to New Orleans? <laughs> no,
1: I think maybe I would want to visit the world of red snow, but uh, oh. not the world of Interview with a Vampire.
0: Well, I was more asking if you wanted to, if if this experience made you want to read the book. Yeah. Yeah.
1: To, to not corporeally visit this world, yes. I would <laughs> like to visit the world through the book. I think it would be pretty interesting to see. I'd, I'd like to see more character development.
0: On this watch, I feel like having read the book sort of deepened my appreciation of it, which often doesn't happen with book to movie. Yeah. Like, again, it's a, it's a pretty faithful adaptation except for... Uh, can we talk about the very ending? Yes. So I went back and forth on this ending. I think that I like it. But basically, after Christian Slater asks to become a vampire and runs out, that's where the book ends. Yeah. Is, is just him leaving and getting in his car. But he then proceeds to drive. Uh, I guess he lives in Marin because he's going on the Golden Gate Bridge or just somewhere in the North Bay. And he's listening to the tapes that he's just recorded. He's been taping this whole interview. And who but Lestat comes into the car and bites him and says that he's going to give him the choice he never had. Uh And there's this great line that Tom Cruise plays brilliantly where he's like, where he's listening to Louis on the tape. And he goes, oh, Louis, you you and your whining (laughs) (laughs) that's a
1: perfect line it's uh, so funny I've
0: been listening to it for centuries and like switches to a cover of uh, Sympathy for the Devil or something but what I find interesting about this scene and I'm surprised that Anne Rice is okay with it is to me it kind of says definitively that Lestat is bad because this is no longer happening in Louis' retelling of events Whereas in, if they are to make the vampire Lestat, which is all from Lestat's point of view, and he's saying, no, no, Louis was lying. This is what really happened.
1: It doesn't work as well.
0: What do you think?
1: I think there. I think there's a little wiggle room where he's not necessarily being truly evil here. I think in a certain way, his character just has a different worldview. So attacking Christian Slater's character isn't necessarily an act of evil. He sees it as he's going to let Christian Slater have a choice to be a vampire or not, whereas Louis wouldn't give him that choice. So do you think he was eavesdropping on... It makes me think that he was, because why else was he targeting Christian Slater?
0: That's true. I'm also unclear if he was just hiding in the back seat or if he flew into the car. (laughs) The way that scene is cut is is very disorienting. I
1: thought he... I thought he flew into the car. Was he
0: just perched up on the Golden Gate Bridge, waiting for Christian Slater to drive by in his Mustang?
1: I have no idea. <laughs> I'm actually not sure. I could kind of see him just as, in his slightly decrepit state, just curled up in the back seat, like yeah,
0: because he's so weak at that point.
1: Um, he perched up after drinking a little blood i feel better already
0: tom cruise is so great in this uh not to beat that again but um man i would have loved to see a sequel that was just about lestat i just wonder if that was ever really something that they talked about
1: i kind of doubt it
0: but the fact that they have the vampire chronicles as a subtitle but
1: is that is that also on the books at all
0: I mean, I think that Anne Rice eventually referred to that series as the Vampire Chronicles. Because There's... I
1: wonder if internally, like, she let them know that that was the plan for the series name, and they just aligned it with what the plan was for the books.
0: Well, by this point, many of the books had already been out um, right. by the nineties right. because they
1: had t- started in the seventies.
0: Or... Yeah. Um, And I think uh, the vampire Lestat was the 80s. There were some gaps there. But interestingly, there was a sequel in 2002 called Queen of the Damned. Did you know about this with Aaliyah?
1: Yeah, that was... uh, I remember that. I remember that coming out.
0: I can't remember who plays Lestat in that, but I've never seen it. And I've heard that Anne Rice hated it.
1: I heard it was terrible. I didn't watch it, but I remember the trailers and i remember there being some good alt rock music in it oh boy yeah early well, 2000s good, quote unquote good maybe not good anymore just like everybody turned their back on nickelback
0: early 2000s is a pretty rough time especially 2002 i think of that in, in, like halloween resurrection and
1: things like that um anyway <laughs> i think we all know the answer but do you buy it rent it or tape over it Oh,
0: you buy it, you treasure it through hundreds of years, you have a deeply homoerotic relationship with the tape.
1: <laughs> I'm not sure how that works. I
0: don't either, but it's happening. It's <laughs> suddenly uh, very strange in here. <laughs> Uh, what about you, Lindsay?
1: Okay, so I was a rent-it before. I remember thinking, oh, that's pretty interesting. But then actually watching it with you again and diving into it and dissecting the characters and kind of understanding some of the depth that I think I had not really paid attention to on my first watch, I'm leaning more toward a buy-it.
0: So, Lindsay... I believe we're watching one more vampire movie this season.
1: Ah, yeah.
0: Redsnowmovie.com.
1: Well, no, that's not (laughs) available to watch yet. He still needs to film it in February. Um, Tell us what you've picked out for us. We're going to enjoy some girl power. Well, I mean, Claudia was pretty powerful in this movie. Pretty powerful. Yeah. We're going to go with Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So this is a movie that I grew up with, and I love it. My mom's a big fan. I actually own the DVD box set of the TV series, and I've watched that three times through in full, once when it aired, twice on DVD, one of those times on DVD with Sean. So I have a pretty big Buffy head, and I've seen the movie a bunch of times.
0: You know, I had sort of a similar experience, not as intense as you, but I grew up with this movie, too. It was a staple at the Lynch household. And later I discovered the series and was really into it. Although I didn't watch all of it as it aired. I think I just watched the first couple seasons and then went through it with you later. Yeah, you
1: saw it in full with me. Yeah. Don't recommend the last couple seasons.
0: Well, I don't know. They have their moments. That musical episode's yeah. pretty great.
1: Well, this isn't a TV podcast. Yes, that's so true. So we should focus on the movie, which is quite good.
0: Yes. A little last bit of Interview with the Vampire trivia to leave you with. Did you know that Anne Rice's pick to play Lestat would have been Rutger Hauer, who plays the main vampire villain in Buffy the movie? Oh, whoa. So next week, we'll be watching... Anne Rice's preferred, well, before she saw what Tom Cruise could do, presumably, since she wrote him a letter of apology, preferred Lestat. So we'll have to still we'll have to think about that. What he would have been like in the role?
1: It's a little awkward.
0: Yeah. So one last time for the road. www.redsnowmovie.com. Um, this campaign will be going through October into November, maybe a little bit into December. We'll see. Mm-hmm um but again like if you contribute even if it's a small amount thank you so much from the bottom of my heart uh it's my dream to make a vampire movie of my own and you are helping with that dream and you will be a part of it i would also like to thank will price for use of his song mandatory groove you can hear more of will's music on soundcloud.com slash
1: You can learn more about us and our other episodes at TapeHeadsPodcast.com. If you have any questions, please reach out to TapeHeadsPodcast at gmail.com. And we'd love to hear your feedback. Please rate and review on iTunes.
0: That's it for TapeHeads. I'm Sean. And I'm Lindsay. Until next time.